You know, listening to this blues music reminds me of my own troubles and tribulations as a young guy. And, uh, you know, my folks, they really, really dump on me. They really do. I say you guys get along with your parents? I guess you guys moved out by now, though, huh? Uh, what's this, sir? Very good. Uh, well, that's a very sweet thought of both of you gentlemen, but I really don't know what you're Until now. <laughs> See you guys in the emergency room, huh? <laughs> Hello, pretty lady. Tell me something. What's a beautiful bride like you doing with a malacca like this, huh? It's purely sexual. No shit. She's into malacca's, Dino. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with Good afternoon, good morning, whenever you're listening to this, uh, we're up to episode 38 of Dude and a Monkey, I'm Mark Foster, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host. And very disgruntled with Skype, Ian Loring. Yes, we've been sat both just staring at our Skype screens, waiting for the one to log on for the past 20 odd minutes to realise that it was just a technical error. Uh, but we're not going to let that stop On us. my side, in all fairness, on my side, but fuck's sake, Skype. <laughs> um, Today, we, we don't have the uh, fifth estate, as we said on the last podcast. Uh, instead, we have the Keanu Reeves-directed Man of Tai Chi. Uh, why did we choose this instead, Ian? Because you'd all rather hear us talk about Man of Tai Chi. Exactly. Um, you know, talk political thriller isn't exactly why you come to us. You come to us for this kind of B-movie nonsense Um that we'll get into very soon. Uh, we're also going to be talking one old, one new, um, and we're going to keep on with our a night marathon on Elm Street uh, series with uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street Three Dream Warriors and a Nightmare on Elm Street Four Dream Master. Um, so before we get into that, if you want to leave us iTunes reviews, please do so. If you want to get in touch with us. DudeandMonkey at gmail.com at DudeandMonkey at Ian Lauren or at DudeFoz. So, before we get into our main review, Ian, 
What trailers have you been watching? Oh, Dougie, uh, the second trailer for The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, uh, which looks gorgeous, but I'm worried it's going to be Forrest Gump, basically. Yeah. Um, but we- we'll see. Um, it does look very, very nice, though, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in that one. Uh, full trailer for American Hustle, which um, doesn't really tell you what the film's about. Um, gives you a flavour of the characters, but um, that's that's fine. Um, but it, it, it is kind of essentially, here's a bunch of stars all in a film together with 70s haircuts. Um, but I suppose for a, a, like a mass audience, it's probably that's probably all you need to know. So, hey. Uh, Charlie Countryman, or The Life and Death of Charlie Countryman, as I thought it was called, but apparently isn't anymore, um, which looks alright, um, I'm not, I don't know, Shia LaBeouf trying to be edgy, unsure about that, but we'll see, I'll watch Mads Mikkelsen kick the shit out of Shia LaBeouf anyway. Yeah, I I think I'm going to that more, but who else is in it, rather than, um, Shia LaBeouf, but then again... It, it might turn out to be his turning point. You never know. He's got a couple of very interesting-looking films coming out um, very shortly with this and uh, Nymphomaniac. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and lastly, the full trailer for The Monuments Men, which looks like it's going to be Clooney's usual brand of old-school entertainment with some intelligence behind it. I'm not salivating to watch it, uh, I will say, mm. but it looks like it's it looks like it's going to be very good, but it's almost like you just know it's going to be very good. Yeah, it, it's got eight out of ten written all over it. Straight up, yeah, 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 um, yeah, absolutely. But I I I do look forward to it. The trailer's decent. Um, I don't. It just it it it's kind of expected. It just feels like this year's Argo, where it's just like, well, yeah, that's going to be good then. And then the question's just going to be, all right. How good is it actually going to be? Yeah, and um, uh, that was it for for me this week. Yeah, I, I I think that's about it. Of all I've watched, there's not been a lot really come out in terms of trailers this this week, has there really? No, no, not really. I mean the I don't know the posters for Nymphomaniac came out, um, which, yeah. which were interesting. Yeah, I, I mean I'm interested to know what we're actually gonna get with Nymphomaniac. Um, because I'm hearing that we've got um, like ridiculously, a ridiculously long cut. Like it's gonna be what is it, four and a half hours or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's kind of like, well, what, what am I actually, or am I actually ever gonna be able to go and see in the theatre? And what's gonna actually arrive on on Blu-ray? I'm guessing there's gonna be a, you know, there's there's a lot of rumours that there's gonna be a, a, a standard cut and a hardcore cut. And yes. It, and it, when you hear that, you already start to worry and think, oh, is the hardcore cut going to be actually hardcore, or is, is it just a publicity stunt? I think it will be hardcore. I, I think, think we'll he'll just get a load of hardcore porn actors in. Yeah. Uh, but also, as well, will it actually get through any certificate, <laughs> uh, any kind of certification passing? Mm. I, I will say, I'm looking at the posters now, the Udo Kier one is hilarious. It's great. Yeah. I mean, the, that, that's, the, the whole poster thing is just more of Von Trier just taking the piss out of himself, I think. Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah. Good for him. Yeah, why not? You know, it's 
he's in no way being serious with those posters. No, no, it's it just they're they're really funny. Yeah, I mean a, a, a couple of them are, are, are rather nice to look at. It must be said, um, but the uh, but yeah, a lot of them are just funny and just I don't know the the reviewer having Udo Kier and Stellan Skarsgård do their O faces for a poster. It's uh, it's quite something. It, it, it's yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it to be honest. Yeah, why not? Yeah, exactly. Why not? <laughs> Fuck it. It'll be it'll be either incredibly indulgent and dull, or incredibly indulgent and fun. Fun, yeah. Um, right. So going from a a film that is could possibly be indulgent and fun to another film that could possibly be indulgent and fun. Our main review is Man of Tai Chi, uh, which is a core Chinese and American funded film. Um, Directed by Keanu Reeves and his first directorial film. Uh, so here is the trailer before we get into it. Okay, there you heard a trailer for the film Man of Tai Chi, which has just been released on VOD uh, in America. Uh, it stars and is directed by Keanu Reeves. Uh, we also have uh, Tiger Chen, um, which is one of um, Keanu Reeves' friends, I understand, and is actually his real name. Um, you've got a whole host of other um, Chinese actors. The sort of gist of the story is you've got the character Tiger Chen, does uh, Lion Kong Tai Chi, uh, which, as everyone knows, Tai Chi is a form of martial art, but is mostly used for meditation and exercise. But uh, he decides to use it as a form of fighting and a form of combat. 
uh, Keanu Reeves plays a chap who has gone across to Hong Kong and has made what we assume is looks like millions slash billions in securities, but also seems to run underground fighting competitions. His character by the name of Donica Mark, by the way, which yes. is uh, quite something. Um, so, without further ado, Ian, uh, what did you think of Man of Tai Chi? I had a great deal of fun with Man of Tai Chi. Um, it, Keanu Reeves obviously loves action cinema of the late 80s, early 90s, and basically makes one of them. Uh, but with a bit, a, a little bit of thoughtfulness about Tai Chi and what it represents. Um, but that's probably the only thought that went into the film whatsoever. Um, it's got a plot with a copper tracking down Tiger Chen and convincing him that Donica Mark's up to no good, but you never, ever, ever find out what no good Donica Mark is actually up to. It Because the film is just concentrating on fighting. And what fighting there is, is pretty pulse-pounding. Uh, the music is very 90s, and I loved it. Um, and Keanu Reeves gives a committed but rather batshit awful performance in, uh, as as the bad guy, even though I thought Tiger Chen was actually quite charming. Uh, we'll get into it, but it is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't agree more. Um, from so like the first five, ten minutes, it is, you can tell that it's very much steeped in, like you say, the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it had a very John Woo-esque feeling about it at points um and also like you see a lot of the martial arts films that you're guessing that Keanu Reeves probably watched in college that's the the idea that I kind of got from it um straight away it's it's quite brave with someone like Keanu Reeves uh in a way to do his directorial debut and not have it as a an English language film Totally. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, most of this film, I think, is subtitled. Yeah, the, the vast majority of it is um, is subtitled, and the fact that it, it's it's shot, it wasn't shot in America. It, it's partially Americanly funded, but it's you could argue and say, look, this is a a, a Chinese film. Yeah. Uh, and that's quite it's quite a brave decision. But I think Keanu Reeves is well. Let's be honest. He's successful enough and he's rich enough to basically do essentially his own thing. Mm. You know, I think a lot of the the money that was, you know that's put in this because had a decent budget, twenty five million is not a bad budget for a film mm. of this kind. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that would have probably been Keanu Reeves saying, "Well, I want to make this movie," and I'm going, "And then I go, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Mm. Give me a shit movie and I'll do it." You give them the money to do this movie, and they've gone, all right, then, yeah, we'll get, do this. We've gone, all right, I'm brilliant. I'll do that. And so that works well. He's, it's actually quite a well-directed film as well. You know, yeah. it, it's, it looks nice. The music fits in quite nice. Also, the fight scenes are very well choreographed. It looks good. The story is very, like you say, very 90s. But then again, it's a martial arts film. They're not supposed to have these in-depth interweaving stories. They're supposed to be very much based around having enough information and enough story to get you from fight A to fight B. And it manages to successfully do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
I think the intentions of the film are pretty well established. I mean, like, the first line of the film is Keanu Reeves saying into a microphone, finish him. Yeah. You know, so already you're, you're conjuring video games, and, you know, specifically Mortal Kombat, obviously, and finish him is, like, one of his big lines. But then soon after that, he's watching Tiger Chen's first fight, and he just looks at looks at the screen and just goes, innocence. Mm. You know, with, with like with this kind of almost slightly like sexual relish. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, the the tone of the film is pretty much set there. And I mean, Reeves seems to know. I I, I think he knows what he's doing. And I think I do actually think he's kind of tempered his performance to that level. But when it's talking about Tai Chi and what Tai, uh, tai Chi represents and the, the whole idea of the temple kind of being besmirched by his by his upcoming darkness, it does there, there is enough weight to that to actually get you through the redemptive arc of Tiger Chen's character. It's, Pardon me. As silly as that sounds for, for for this film, I actually think there is there is a bit going on there. Uh, you almost didn't really need the police stuff at all. You could have just had Keanu Reeves' character runs underground fight clubs, and he spots Tiger Chen, and he's just like he's a multi-millionaire, and he puts these things on. I don't think you need because I mean, like seriously, I I know it's not that much of a bother in the film, but what were they actually chasing Keanu Reeves' character for? Was it just the underground fight clubs? Because there's things where they, like the, the informant guy at the start who gets killed off, says like, it looks like it's just underground fight clubs, but there's more to it. Yeah. But I, then there's not. No, there is. <laughs> there, there clearly isn't more to it. it. It's just, it just is that. And like you say, yeah. I, I think there would have been, like you say, enough there had it just been that. And it just being that he he was a rich guy who wanted to run an underground fight club that had people fighting to the death. And I mean, even having the police in on it kind of thing kind of makes sense. Like the higher ups go to the underground fight club and they bet on the fighters. You know, yeah. I mean, that there is enough there to do that. That it is weird that I mean, I suppose you have to have someone to kind of pull Tiger Chen's character back from the brink. But then again, that kind of love interest character could have served that purpose as well. But I mean, they, I mean, fuck, it's a Keanu Reeves directed action film. Why am I even talking about that kind of stuff? You know? Yeah, I think it's definitely that. I think Keanu Reeves wanted to make a martial arts film and he's made a bloody good martial arts film, to be honest. Yeah. And that's the thing is everything else is just kind of peripheral to it and nothing else kind of gets, you know, we get a little bit of closure towards the romance story, but there is no actual real romance story in it. There's a couple of scenes that make uh, the underlines of a, a romance story there, but there's no sort of big romantic gestures or there's no there's nothing to suggest that, that there's anything romantic going on throughout the film. It doesn't continuously go back to it. The only thing this film continuously goes back to is some really good fight scenes. Yeah, I mean, he's basically playing lip service to having to have a plot because yeah. all he is interested in is the action and the concept of Tai Chi, yeah. which which is enough to get you going, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, for the first, really, you've got the first sort of 10, 15 minutes and then you've got a block of about, of about 25 minutes in the middle where it is quite simply just one fight after another. Yeah. 
and that just flies by, and you watch it going, "This is great. This is brilliant." And yeah, I, I, so I mean, I, I think are, are you referring to like his or like from his audition? Yeah. To maybe when they fly him out to that place, or just before that, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely say that. That was that is. It's just one fight scene after another, which, you know, to some would be boring, but if you're a fan of martial arts films, which, you know, you're not going to watch this if you're not a fan of martial arts films. Um, it, it, it's just great, and it is it is very much aching back, uh, aching back to, to that kind of late 80s to mid-90s era where there was, you know, main, not, maybe not mainstream America, but direct-to-video America was churning out a lot of these movies. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, the the the, the action is great. I mean, there's obvious... There must be some wire stuff. I mean, Yuen Wu-Ping was the action director here. And, I mean, I, he does wire work quite a bit. And there must have been some wire work at some stages. I think, I think there definitely was. There's a, there's, a, there's a few bits of it where you kind of watch... There's a bit where Keanu Reeves double-punches the guy. And he yeah. lifts up, and as he grabs his foot and pulls him back down, that's just not. It's not. Oh, where he back. kind of flies back and then suddenly like springs back. Yeah. He flies back and then springs forward. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, you know, there there is, but it's also I think there's 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 a few fights where it is just purely two very talented guys who've been very well choreographed to just to just fight essentially. Yeah, I mean, there's that one. There's one reversal. I think it's in the like the, in the audition fight. There's a reversal where the guy picks up Tiger Chen, and then they're just spinning around, and then somehow, like like almost in the air, and then Tiger Chen manages to get him, like smack him down on the ground, and that looked like it was real, yeah. and it was just what the fuck. Well, it, but the thing is, it probably is. I mean, that, that probably is real. It, it's what you do is you're taking. And what he's done very well here is, it, 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 is he's not taken an actor who can fight. He's done very much the, the oriental way of what they do, of taking somebody who can fight and who can do all these things. And, it's just, you know, I mean, Tyson's a stuntman, I think, isn't he, the actual guy? I mean, um, it's, it's just like Eco Uaris and um, uh, Joe Taslim, I think, in The Raid. Yeah, it, 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 it's very, you know, if you... If you liked the raid, this is very much up your street. It's not as, it's not as kind of brutal and as visceral as, as as the raid. Certainly not, and it's not as 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 gritty as the raid. But it's, I mean, it's more intense as the raid. But yeah. I kind of think Man of Tai Chi is more fun in the more simplistic action movie way. Certainly, yeah, I, I'd, I'd definitely say so. There's, you know, if you. I think very much with the raid is if you're if it's the first time you're watching it, if you miss maybe two three minutes of of subtitled dialogue, you could lose kind of a little bit of thread of what's going on. Yeah, that's true. Um, whereas Man of Tai Chi, you, you, I, I I would I would actually say that you could probably watch this film without any subtitles and still have a pretty good idea of exactly what is going on. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, like, it, it, I mean, it's basically it's it's Return of the Jedi. It's <laughs> a guy, a, you know, a yeah. guy is willed into becoming dark by the Emperor, who in this case is Keanu Reeves, and he then and he then by the end of it, he re- rejects that and and 
spoiler alert that come oh no well it's all spoilers anyway you know and then he defeats the emperor at the end you know yeah. i mean that that i mean that is what that is but i mean like i really i like but i mean like the the, the visual representation of that darkness is really well done as well the, the contrast between you know tai chi the kind of the graceful elegant like almost kind of choreographed kind of well, I mean, stuff. It, it, a lot of a lot of tai chi is is choreographed. It's a lot of it's right. If you're going to do this movement, then ne- the next movement will be this movement, and the next movement will be this movement. And it's all about you're flowing around doing these movements based on the movement the guy in front of you is going to do. So essentially, it is it it's it is almost completely ingrained and choreographed into you that this is what you're going to do. Because it's right, you're going to do this, and if they attack this way, you're going to go into this, and then you're going to do this, and it's all that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, and then, but then when he unleashes, mm. then suddenly it's more intense. It's a bit more haphazard, and it's more just the like the sheer force of the punches more than the more than the choreography. I mean, it's um that 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 dichotomy between kind of like light tiger chen and dark tiger chen is well shown well, through yeah. the fighting it's it's really it, it's it that is keanu reeves thinking smart about how the action tells the story yeah i mean the the, the scene where he's taken to the um the freighter um yeah yeah yeah, yeah we yeah. have a fight where we have essentially you have kind of three fights in one fight where he's fighting two guys mm. and there's some great visuals done within that there's a great um, silhouette segment but it doesn't go on too long so it doesn't feel too reticent and then you've got the the strobe lighting setting but again he quickly pings to another different way of lighting this fight and this fight goes on for maybe sort of 10 minutes mm. but it's lit and it's shot five different ways but all of them link in quite well and feel quite natural and don't feel like they're being done just to be flashy. And I'm, I'm assuming those kind of stylistic touches are Reeves and it's Yuen Wu-Ping actually doing the, the action. He, he's credited as action director, but I'm assuming he's the one choreographing that stuff and then Reeves is the one who's deciding to do the strobing and stuff. And the strobing sequence I fucking loved, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's wonderful. Yeah, I, I definitely think that... I think Reeves has a lot to do with, you know... It, from from knowing you know his interests and you know the fact that he's chosen to do this, he clearly he hasn't just thought I want to direct a, a martial arts movie. He's, mm. he's you know and he's been working on this for sort of five years now. It, you know it, it's not just a it's not a reactionary project to anything that he's that he's seen or that's been out or anything like that. And it, it, you get the feeling that he's got a very set idea of how he wants to do it. And I think that this could be the first of a few films that we're going to see from Keanu Reeves where he is behind the camera doing this kind of thing. No, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, I don't know, he feels at home here. I want to mm. see him do more. Yes, yeah, certainly. I'd like to see him do more in and around this kind of, this genre and not just kind of go, right, well, I've, I, that was my directorial debut now i'm going to go and make a taut um police action thriller i i'd like to just continue just churning out once every sort of three or four years just giving us one a film like this 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It feel it feels like his level, and he it, and he seems happy with it. Like I think Keanu Reeves directing a drama could be a very very bad thing indeed. Exactly. And yeah. I think him directing probably director VOD action flicks. Absolute yes, please. Well, also as well. I mean, what I will say is um, the way I, I you know often think of don't judge but think of uh, with director VOD stuff is right. Would I have been pissed off if I'd paid a tenner and seen that in the cinema? Yeah. And there's a few where you kind of watch them and you go, do you know what? I'm happy with VOD, but I, you know, I, I can see why that went direct to video. You know, not saying that it's a less of a form than cinema, but, you know, there's, there's certain times where you go, do you know what? I don't need to have seen that on the big screen. Sure, sure, I'd, no, I'd absolutely. Been, I'd have been perfectly happy seeing Manitaichi on the big screen. Yeah, abs- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I frankly, if it does get a cinema release over here, I'd say I'd go and see it, but I, I, I won't because I just, you know, th- no time. Well, yeah, I, I, if it comes out of the cinema over here, I will go and see it for one, one reason only, just to support the film. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would love That's, to, but I you just had, you, you, you've got, you've got time constraints uh, um, occurring very soon, haven't you? So. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I mean, as, as is, you know, perfectly happy to pay for it on VOD, mm. uh, you know, which is supporting the film in itself. And um, I, I, yeah, I just, I think we're probably wrapping up. I, I but... think we are certainly wrapping up. It, it, it's not a film where there's, there's really that much to talk about, but in that is not a a slight on the film at all. It's it's just, it's one of those films where, you know, you can't really go into the nuances of 20-odd fight scenes. Well, I mean, I think we've done pretty much 20 minutes on it. I mean, that's that's not bad, you know. It, it just, um, it, it's, it's very good. It's surprisingly good. It's in that kind of Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning um, level for me, where it's just like, Fucking hell, wasn't expecting that. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun, but not in a it's so bad it's fun way. Not in that way at all. This is a good film. Yeah, it and is. It's it, it what it sets out to achieve, it achieves every single one of them. You know, Fucking straight up. And as well, let, let, like before we wrap up, we've got to talk about Charlie Reed's manic performance. Uh, he is wonderful. Yeah, there's some great fucking. You know, he doesn't at any point make any kind of face of joy or anything other than just look thoroughly fucking pissed off. That scream he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is brilliant. Where his like, eyes almost come up his head. I, I I imagine there's probably a gif of that somewhere that it would just be. Incredible. I mean, isn't was that him swimming towards the end as well? Yes. He evades custody and swims yep. to um and and yet his stuff is completely bone dry. I'll also I just want to point out as well, and it's I don't care because I like the film, but this is retarded. That bit at the uh, towards the end where they're doing that video profile of <laughs> Tiger Chen yeah. and it's just it's basically just shots of the movie like there is no way the cameraman in the world of that film could have got like there, there's shots of him beating up his his old master like if you know what I mean like it, yeah. it's like it, it just it doesn't make any sense but it's one of those films where stuff doesn't really make sense but you 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 have 
fun watching it. And the stuff that Reeves cares about is genuine quality. Mm. The stuff he doesn't care about is ropey. But the stuff that he cares about is the reason that you're watching the film, so it's okay. Yeah, completely agree. So, Man of Tai Chi, definitely not shit. Definitely not shit. Trust us, if, if, if you generally click with our opinions you'll have a good time and uh, yeah and also if you if you are a fan in any way of martial arts films and we mean martial arts films not you know some of the bad <laughs> american martial arts films we get yeah, you'll yeah, yeah. you'll fucking you'll lap this up it's, it's just a, it's such a fun movie to watch cool right so that was uh, Man of Tai Chi, uh, and we're going to get into the first part of our a night marathon on Elm Street, uh, which is the third instalment of A Nightmare on Elm Street, um, Dream Warriors. Uh, so here is a trailer for Dream Warriors, and then we'll get into... trailer from A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Uh, this is the third instalment of the uh, Night Marathon on Elm Street Marathon. Uh, this one is directed by Chuck Russell. It also has back on board Wes Craven, who helped out with the story and helped out with the screenplay, along with Chuck Russell himself, Bruce Wagner, and Frank Darabont as well. Mm. Uh, we have, as ever, uh, Robert Englund uh, returning as Freddy Krueger, but we've also got Heather Langenkamp returning for this one, and on board as well we have Craig Wasson and Patricia Arquette. And in this one we have the usual bits uh, where Freddy infests people's dreams and kills them within them, but this one is set in a 
mental institution and he's attacking the remaining Elm Street kids. Uh, Ian, uh, what do you think of A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors? Okie dokie. So, yeah, um, I watched uh, both this and four uh, in a row today. So um, I had about three hours of Freddy, uh, which was quite intense, actually. But, um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, um, I really, I, I do very, very much like Dream Warriors. Um, I, I watched it uh, not long ago. It might even be this year was the last time I watched it, or maybe late last year. And um, yeah, I, I think it's great. Again, like uh, Part Two, it, it's trying to do something different. Um, it's kind of more focused on the dreams as as the first film is. But I like the fact that they're taking the fight to Freddy, um, even even though. They kind of are, but then they just go in, it get in the dreams, and then Freddy appears, and they all scream anyway. But um, yeah, uh, it. I, I think the cast are really solid. Um, Lagging Camp is better. Yeah, uh, she's still not amazing, but apart she. Apart from one moment. Apart from one moment, the moment where she slams down the paper mache house and says, "This is my house." Oh, oh no, it's, 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 I used to live here. And you're kind of thinking, what, there, in that paper mache house? You <laughs> mad bitch. <laughs> fair enough. I, that moment didn't quite strike to me, but uh, fair, fair enough. Gets me um, every time I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, um, it, it, it's, it, it's a film of quality, like the, like the first one is, you know. Um, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I'll say this about part four as well. The good thing about the Elm, the Elm Street films, at least up, up, up to up to this point, is that they do have production value. They've got money thrown at them. And you look at something like the Friday the 13th films where, you know, really part four and to an extent part six aside, they, they're very, very cheap looking films. Mm. Um, yeah, the, these, these films do have great practical effects. Yeah. Um, the scores are pretty solid. I mean, here you've got Angelo Badalamenti. Um, and it, I mean, it's not one of his best scores, but it, it's still it's still a, it's, a cut above your average horror third um, yeah, series in a yeah, franchise. Yeah, exactly. Even though I would probably uh, take uh, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch as, uh, as a, a contrary example. In that, oh yeah, that without, without, without that. question, yeah. Score for that is fucking incredible. But, um, the film's incredible. Yeah, well, yes. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, 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 anyway, I'll stop speaking. I really, really, really like, uh, really do like Dream Warriors. It, I don't think, for me, it's not quite up there with the original film just because I like how intense the original film is, how straight up horror, horror, horror the first film is. But, I, you know, it's still a really great film. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm exactly the same. I think often you will hear a lot of people, I think over the years, Dream Warriors has kind of. You know, you, you, 10, 10 sort of 15 years ago, people were sort of saying, you know, oh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first good, but the sequels are terrible. I think now, as people have kind of looked, started to look back on it, they've started to go, actually, Dream Warriors is a pretty damn good film. It's a good instalment within it. It's not as good as the first, um, but very, very few horror series do get to match the first. Um, but Dream Warriors is a good film in its, in its own right, certainly. Um, there's a few things that kind of start to bring it down. You know, a couple of the performances are a little bit ropey, and a couple of the images, sort of the imagery that was chosen by Chuck Russell, is a little bit kind of very much of its time. It's a very late 80s movie. And I don't think they've maybe aged as well some of the characters that the dreams create. Uh, 
for the characters. Are yeah, a little I, I, there's one in particular I, I think yeah, you I, might be thinking I, of. I, I, well, which one are you thinking? Are we talking about the wizard? The, the wizard master, the wizard yeah. Master is a little bit like, oh, really? Like wow. that costume that he, 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 like when he's in the dream and he kind of stands up. Yeah. And then he gets that costume that looks like a really shit Dracula's cape. Yeah, it, it looks like his mum made it for him. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, I mean, there is, there is that, a few elements there. And also, this is the first time, I think we discussed it briefly on the last podcast, where Freddy becomes the Freddy that a lot of people associate with the Nightmare on Elm Street. The quips came in. And, you know, I think he's got more lines in this film than the first two films put together. You know, he's very much, he's not just the, you know, the mad serial killer that we see infecting dreams and the fright thing. He's very much more of a character in his own right within this film. He's got more interaction with people. I still, yeah, no, absolutely. But I I still don't quite think it's the The funny people. Yeah, yeah, the camp. Which I like, like it, it, it does def- come in. It's definitely not got that. It, it, it's still quite forceful. I mean, the you know, the, it, it's still quite nasty. Like, because he's still got that kind of, that that intensity to his voice in this one as well. Like the the, the, the this is your bread baking TV. Welcome to primetime, bitch. Like that's angry. Yeah. Like he is in the other two as well. Yeah, there's, there's definitely that. There's not become. It's not playing for laughs it's playing for a i suppose kind of a shock element yeah 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 in a way um it's definitely not playing for laughs yet uh yeah no absolutely and i mean it just i i I think the the idea of battling freddy on a couple of fronts as well like the fact that it's not all just in the dream uh I, i i think is is really really smart as well i mean the um the bit that the, uh, the the guy who plays Neil or whatever his name is and John Saxon like their little side yeah. quest, you know, just like a it gives you a bit of a break from the dream stuff, and b you get the fantastic animatronic skeleton fight, which, oh, yeah. uh, which I love. Well, yeah, you, you have the animatronic skeleton fight. You also have the stop motion Freddy. Oh, the stop, yeah, 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 he's great. The yeah. stop motion, but he is great as well. Um, you've got some, there's, there's some really great death scenes in this and some really grim stuff. I mean, the, you know, the the puppet boy walking mm-hmm. uh, is, is a brilliant death scene. And it's a brilliant scene. And yeah. it is really grim, you know, the, the fact that he's pulled out all his tendons and his veins and he's, you know, he's creating a puppet out of this, this boy. It, 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 it looks great and it's, grim and it's nasty and it's what these films are supposed to be yes absolutely it, it just i i don't know i like i in a way i kind of like the fact that it just ignores part two um it, i mean like i i yeah we talked about part two last week and i don't hate part two but this feels like this fe- kind of feels more like a sequel to the original nightmare on elm street than part two does even if I even if I like the stuff that Part Two does do to an extent, um, but I mean, I, just the fact that it's it's you know it's got grown up characters who are interacting in in the plot, which doesn't happen a lot as well. I mean, you like I mean with with Part Four, it's it's very much the mum is the bad guy kind of thing again. You know, it's mm. 
it, 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 like like with part one and like the dad in part two and whereas this one the parents aren't really all that involved i mean the mum of uh of uh of kirsten is is kind of there but not really yeah uh, it, it's i like i like the fact that it is getting these other characters it proactively in it and it also feels like a good appropriate end for nancy and her dad yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree there. It's, it certainly is. I mean, there's it, it, one thing it does bring up is the fact is over the over the whole Nightmare on Elm Street film, all the parents are terrible in this series. They're all either drunks, or, 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 well, either single parent drunks or single parents who don't care about their children. Yeah, they're all like that, and all Clue Gulliger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all Clue Gulliger, um, but. Yeah, I think I think bringing you know Nancy back into the, the fray was quite good, and the fact that that Freddie acknowledges her, you know, with the yeah. way he looks at her, and it's the very much of the ah oh, you, and he acknowledges that ah oh, shit, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, but there's a passing of the torch, I suppose, in a way, um, to somebody who's you know it's very much established that Kristen, uh, you know, has a power that is beyond Heather Langenkamp, who just happened to be the one that beat him the first time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the look of, like, the Freddy worm who's eating Patricia Arquette, like, he looks up at her, yeah. It, it is totally an, ah, oh, fuck's sake, kind of, <laughs> yeah, kind of a look. Um, And, I mean, like, her death, like, John, uh, like him impersonating her dad, that very much feels like, yeah, that's the way she's she was going to go out. Yeah. Lot- yeah I, even though she is also saving, like, trying to save the other characters, it feels right for Nancy. Yeah, certainly does. I mean... One thing I will say is Patricia Arquette's character, Kirsten, picks a really shit dream power. What is her dream power? She's like Jim. You know, oh, yeah, she's like, good at fucking backflips. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a wizard. Me, I'm beautiful and I can throw knives and shit, even though she doesn't actually do any of that. That Kincaid guy is just really strong. Uh, and hers is, what, what can you do? I just Jim, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a terrible superpower. In fact, none of them are really good superpowers. Really, they haven't really thought of it. <laughs> that no, I mean, the, the wizard boy, shit. Yeah. Yeah. What does he do? He like slams some green stuff over at Freddy, and then Freddy's just like, "What the fuck? Huh? Die!" You know. <laughs> and yeah. I, I mean, like the the rock chick girl, like, all right, she gets the knife out and says, "Let's dance," and it it, it just well. No, you're not just going to have a knife fight with Freddy. Yeah, you're going to lose. <laughs> it's just, I, yeah, you're right. Their, their powers is, are rubbish. That is a great scene as well when he turns the knives into um, needles. Needles. Have you seen yeah. the Mondo poster of that? No, but I bet it's fucking right. Oh, the Mondo poster of that uh, is beautiful. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link in a second. Yeah. Um, but it, it just, I don't know, I think this, this one, like you say... It's like they have watched um, two and gone, two didn't work, did it? Um, so let's let's make sure we don't make those mistakes. Even though, like we say, we both actually quite enjoyed two. So to go that, yeah, I enjoyed two as a kind of an oddity, like like in a way Halloween three is, but Halloween three is a lot better. But it just in a that was an interest that that was actually quite an interesting concept. Fair play, but in terms of the mythology of Freddy. Part three is way a way way better fit. Yeah, it, it does. It does kind of suit the whole 
what we've had before, and it, it, it feels it, it, it feels better with the characters, and it feels like there's a lot more thought going to it. And you have got some, you know, Trussell's a good director. You know, Frank Darabont is a good writer, and you can see bits of Darabont within this film uh, without I'll, question. I'll just say, by the way, that poster, fucking hell, there's no way Donna would ever let me put that up. I have sort of toyed with the idea of getting it. Um, if you want to know what the poster's talking about, just Google uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Mondo poster. It's, it's, it's a good poster. It's a, it's a great poster. Um, but sorry, go on. So yeah, so I, I think that this, it's it's certainly not as good as one, but it's certainly an improvement on two, which let's say we didn't dislike. There's some great TLC. It feels a little bit like a I don't know, like a horror film, but in the way of uh, a fantasy adventure film as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of going down that road of more intense action thriller as yeah. opposed to horror, which I think part four certainly does do as well. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it's it almost feels like it's not really trying to scare yeah. all that much anymore. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely go on board with that. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much wraps up Nightmare on Elm Street 3 for us. It's definitely not shit. Um, uh-huh. yeah. It's, as expected, I think that, you know, if you said to me before we came into this marathon, you know, where I'd rank it, it would probably be ranked possibly two or three uh, in the Nightmare on Elm Street series for me. But, you know, the good thing about going back and looking at these films as we're going through is that sort of, that might jump around a little bit. I tell you what, you say looking back, I realised today I've never actually seen Elm Street 4, 5, or 6 before. Ooh, well then I'm interested to hear your thoughts on 4 when we get to that uh, very soon. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd, like, I thought I'd seen 4, but I blatantly hadn't. Uh, and I know, I know, I haven't seen five and six before. Selfishly, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this marathon. No, I'm, I'm, I'm always up watching the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, next week's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> um, so that was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, 3, uh, Dream... Channel, not Dream Channel. Warriors. Dream Warriors. I'm thinking, of next, I'm thinking of 5 next. Um, so here are some promos, a podcast that we like uh, and listen to, uh, and then we're going to get into our one old and one new. <laughs> It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick to manage shit, you'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I could handle anything. Action. Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. (laughs) And romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such an easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit! The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. 
Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures of VHS or visit adventuresofvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I'm just just getting confirmation. It's just dealing, that's the third time though. I mean, am I, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. I'm Sarah from GorePress.com, and along with my co-host Phil, we present the GorePress Gorecast. But Sarah, what is the GorePress Gorecast? Well, Phil, I'm glad you asked. It's a weekly show in which we review horror movies, discuss our love for the genre, and generally just blunder through, showcasing our startling ineptitude at podcasting. Hello, and welcome to another... Go- oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake, no, that is not helping! That sounds ridiculously professional. That can't be all we do, can it? It certainly isn't. We also try and talk a little bit about what we've watched recently and selflessly plumb the depths of B-Movie Hell so we can inform you, our loyal listeners, about what to watch and what to avoid. Well, that just sounds dandy. Where can I find such a podcast? Well, Phil, you can subscribe to us by searching for the new GorePress Gorecast in iTunes or you can find us at gorepress.com. knowledge about this film that was some promos for some, fi- some, pro- some films for some podcasts that we like and enjoy uh, and now we get into our one old one new so ian do you want to slap everybody in the face with your one old or one new <laughs> yes i will with my massive one old one new uh i'll, I'll do my one new and i know we uh, i know we said you didn't want to hear us talk about this at the start of the show and we did man tai chi instead but i did go and see the fifth estate yesterday um so I'll, I'll i'll talk about it i didn't go and see it for the show we'd already decided we were going to uh, do man tai chi i was just i was somewhat interested and we were supposed to be painting the baby's room this week but uh com. we placed an order for paint on sunday it still hasn't fucking arrived so Cheers, B and Q. Yeah, man. Like we we had an order confirmation. They took the fucking money out, so we've had to email them asking what the fuck. I phoned them yesterday. I was on hold for fifteen minutes, so I gave up. Um, so yeah. Anyway, DIY dis- uh, disappointments aside. So um, yeah, I, I had more free time than I was expecting yesterday, so I, I just thought, fuck it, I'll go and see the Fifth Estate. So Fifth Estate, um, Benedict Cumberbatch is Julian Assange. Um, and a bit sweaty and gross. Um, and he stars alongside uh, Daniel Brühl, uh, upon whose book the screenplay is partly based on. Uh, it essays the rise of WikiLeaks and Julian Assange's relationship with Daniel Domscheit-Berg uh, and uh, how the 
the uh, the publishing of all the the U.S. cables and the war logs and whatnot um, by the Guardian, the New York Times, and uh, their um, their Spiegel um, basically uh, corrupted their relationship. Uh, directed by Bill Condon, who makes better Twilight films than he does based on uh, real life films. Um, <laughs> Uh, the Fifth Estate starts as it means to go on with a title sequence which, uh, as subtle as a sledgehammer, takes you through the cave paintings, through the invention of the printing press, through all the recent sorts of media, bang up to date to the Guardian office where everyone's running around screaming, when are we going to be able to publish this? We want to go. They're saying we can't go, but we need to go. We need to go now, now. And it kind of goes on from there. Uh, it's a film which has visual representations of cyberspace with people in, like, cyber offices with cyber filing cabinets. And when bad stuff goes down on the server, you get shots of Daniel Brühl setting fire to bins in the imaginary cyber office. Um <laughs> So it's got cyberspace circa 20 years ago. Um, And the the, the thing with The Fifth Estate is, directorially, it's piss poor. Can I I just point out that Bill Condon also directed Candyman 2, Farewells to the Flesh. Yeah, that's a point I always like to raise as well. Fucking awful movie, which destroyed a great movie. He, yeah, he, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's a, he is a genre hopper. This 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 guy. Um, the the thing with the Fifth Estate is an ever so slight spoiler for the end, but it's not really. It's it's a real story. Yeah, that's the thing, and it's like spoilers for real life. But yeah. I mean, if you really really don't want to know what happens in the film, just like tune out for a minute or so. But. The last scene of the film is Julian Assange being kind of interviewed in the Ecuadorian embassy. Yep. And there's an off-screen interviewer, and they, 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 you don't hear what they say, but then he says, ah, the WikiLeaks movie. Yes, the WikiLeaks movie. You don't want to trust anything that's being said in that. If you want the truth, go and find it for yourself. Is, is that the bit? That's in the trailer, isn't it? Yeah. That, if you want the truth, go find it for yourself. Is it in the trailer? You know what I was saying last week, where I think I know what the last shot of the film's going to be? Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. That was it. Is, um, that, is that pretty much the last shot of the film? Yeah, it's him talking to the camera. Yeah. yeah. Actually, fair enough, you're right. That's what, that, 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 that is the scene I thought was going to be the last shot of the film, and I thought, when they did it in the trailer, I thought, that's stupid, because that's clearly him in the Ecuadorian embassy in England, and that's going to be the closest shot of the film. Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Um, the, the, the thing is, it's him saying, if you want the truth, go and see it for yourself, which is an interesting kind of meta thing that gives, kind of weirdly gives the last word to Assange. But it also it does basically say, this film's a bit fucking pointless. You, you don't really need to see this film if you want to if you want to know about wikileaks just read a few articles online mm. or i mean to be honest watch alex gibney's documentary we still secrets the story of wikileaks yeah that does everything in this film but better um it's more gripping than this film uh 
it's more grounded in reality than this based on real life film is. Um, I mean, Julian Assange is Julian Assange in it, even though he's only in archive footage. Um, and I mean, the, really, the only thing to recommend the film, I mean, Daniel Brühl is very, is very good in, in his role, but it's not really all that much about him. It, it is Benedict Cumberbatch's movie, and he is very, very, very good. And you don't see Benedict Cumberbatch in there at all. You don't see you don't see Sherlock in there. You know, you just see Julian Assange. And it's very he, he is very, very good. And if he was in a better film, he'd probably be getting awards buzz. But because he's not in a better film, he's not. Yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of expect it. I think now from Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, he's a very good actor, yeah. um, and he's a very good, he's a very good character actor. Yeah, yeah, no, abs- absolutely, absolutely. Um, he, he is, he is very good, and it is expected, and it's not surprising. But what is surprising is just how the rest of it is really. It feels old school, dated in a really shit way. Like, the newspaper offices are the most stereotypical film newspaper offices you've ever seen. Um, It's got people walking around, like, talking to other people on phones, and they're saying, were you followed? It's like, no, I don't think so. And then it just cuts to shots of people looking at them. But they're they're doing all this at times when no one would be following them because no one gives a fuck. (laughs) Um, I mean, like, annoyingly, a lot of the film is taken up by an an apparently completely made-up character played by Laura Linney, who's this um, kind of like a... She works for the um, she works for the CIA, I think it is, and she's worried about one of her contacts, and it's trying to put a human face on like the the, the names of people that the WikiLeaks um, site are kind of like they're giving out the names of people, and um, it. I mean, that the, the thing is, there is interesting material in that, but the fact that Laurie Linney is a completely fictional character is annoying and the fact that it's like is this guy going to make it out without being killed or whatever and it just that becomes a kind of a focus point at one point and it's just like well i don't really care i mean there there are the moral discussions are brought up in like two sentences like saying uh, there's one point when somebody says to da- uh, Daniel Domscheit uh, Berg, well, you, you know, you were OK with uh, the names and addresses of BNP met- and members being shown on WikiLeaks. Why are you not OK about all these other peoples? And he's saying, well, you know, they've got the friends and families. And it's like, yeah, but the BNP members did, too, you know, which it are interesting points, but they don't go anywhere. The film instead focuses on the Laura Linney character at points, but then also this a bromance gone wrong between Cumberbatch and, and Brawl's characters where halfway through the film it's already fractured and you're just waiting for them to tell each other to fuck off <laughs> and that's it. It, it there's just the story being told here isn't even done in real life yet and yet they've rushed this it felt like apparently the screenwriter wrote a lot of West Wing and there is an awful lot of you know people chatting and walking and whatnot it, it it just it's not very good 
it, it's I, a, a review of this would have been bad, frankly. <laughs> if it was just us discussing it, it would have been like, yeah, it's a bit shit. I'm um, kind of glad we went, we went, we went with in the end. Then. <laughs> totally, totally. But I mean, Cumberbatch is decent. The, di- the, the direction is awful. The screenplay feels like a first draft. Um, but it won't be one of my worst of the year, year because there is a bit of class to it, even if it's just in the casting. I mean, it looks nice as well. The cinematography is perfectly decent. It's a good digital look to it, and the, the score's all right. It just, it's a really, really flaccid look at really, really important stuff. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we watched what we watched instead of <laughs> yeah my one old's better but it just like I felt like I took two hours out to to watch the fifth estate I may as well talk about it somewhere cool right well uh, I'll get into my I'm going to do my one old first because I've got less to say about that although I don't have that much to say about my one new uh, but what I have to say about my one new is it's going to be just me attacking it to be honest um but I've only actually watched one old film uh, this this week. Uh, well, no, I've watched three, but two of them were uh, ones that were covering anyway. Um, I decided to watch um, with last night something with Isabel and Becky, uh, and even wanted to watch a horror film. Um, and there's a bit of a you know, in general, there's not that many kids horror films, and we've pretty much watched them all. So now I'm to the point of where I'm going right. What has no nudity? and minimal drug use in it that I can show to Isabel that isn't going to be totally irresponsible, that's only marginally irresponsible um, to show her. So we watched uh, Peter Jackson's uh, 96 film, The Frighteners, uh, which, you know, is a 15, it does have some, you know, some fun language, we'll say, and it is quite freaky, but there's nothing overtly nasty about it it's quite a fun horror movie it's you know it's more setting comedy than anything else mm. um so we watched that um, i'm guessing a lot of people who listen to it have seen it but if you haven't the idea is you've got it's peter jackson film uh comedy horror film uh starring michael j fox uh you've also got jeffrey coombs in there uh, as well as jake boosie and all other kind of you know semi-recognizable faces um michael j fox plays a character called frank bannister who's an architect who after his wife is murdered he can start seeing what he calls emanations, which essentially are ghosts. Uh, he uses the fact that he can see these ghosts to exploit people uh, by pretending to be some kind of exerciser and some ghost hunter. Um, there also is happens to be, at the same time, a spirit on the loose that is killing people. Is what we'll say, uh, who is dressed as the Grim Reaper, um, but it's not actually the Grim Reaper, it's actually the spirit of a serial killer. Um, not going to go that much into spoilers, because I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it, because it's actually a really good film, and I I think it's one of those films where I assume a lot of people have seen it, but then when I talk to a lot of people, they're like, oh, no, I haven't seen that, it's any good. Um, it's, it's Peter Jackson pre-Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, I also think is it. I think it's his first actual American production as well. Uh, yeah, it must be. What would, what would have been before this? Heavenly Creatures. Uh, yeah, Heavenly Creatures, which you know, you know, before that he'd done Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, Brain Dead, Heavenly Creatures, um, Forgotten Silver, and then it came this. So it's his first 
you know, it, he's well, it's the, it's the film he did before the Lord of the Rings films as well, to be honest, the last film he did before those. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's cartoonish at points. Uh, it's very... It's playing for laughs, but it's got it's still quite freaky. Uh, the CGI in it hasn't dated terribly. It still looks quite good. Uh, Michael J. Fox is... You've seen this one, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael J. Fox is good, but uh, one of my main issues is Michael J. Fox's character... Um, you know, he gets you know, he gets out of the end of it, you know, with the girl and he's, you know, back on track despite the fact that he's an arsehole throughout the movie. And yet he still comes up smelling a rose at the end of it. Um yes he saves a day, but he kinda of saves a day because he kind of created the, the problems of the day <laughs> in a way. Um but it, it's a fun movie. It's a good movie. I like. I, I go back to it fairly often. Um, and you know, if you're like me, you've got kids who are sort of my daughter's nine years old. If you've got kids who have grown up around films and who know that the you know, the workings of films and the reality of films, it, it it's one of those ones where you can get away with showing it. Yes, it's a fifteen, but it's a Beetlejuice type fifteen. You know, there's no tits in it. There's no hard drug use, there's no... It's kind of intense uh, sports. It is quite intense, but I think, you know, I think there's an intensity that should be there, you know, films, horror films should be scary, you know, it's it's not a problem getting scared, you know, I think if, if your kid isn't that used to watching horror films, or isn't interested in horror films, I'd probably... Say, actually no, avoid it. But yeah, I suppose this is probably got quite a good grounding. With you know, she, she, you know, uh, coming out of it, she knows that it, it, that yes, it was scary and it was freaky, and that that's what happened. And you know, she was scared during it, but you know, she's very much like uh, at the end of it, her exact words were, "That was awesome. I really enjoyed that." You know, and, and that's it. She can very much disassociate with, "Look, this isn't real. <laughs> None of this yeah, is going to happen." So there definitely is that, um, but yeah, I, you know, I've seen it five or six times. Still thoroughly enjoy it. You've got a great Jeffrey Coombs batshit performance um, as I think it's called like Marvin or something like that, the FBI agent who, as he claims, gets all the uh, fruity cases. Uh, and you've got Jay Boosie being crazy Jay Boosie. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that that was my uh, one old, which is the Frighteners. Uh, still a lot of fun, despite the fact that it's like 17 years old now. Uh, and also does highlight the fact that, you know, it is a shame that Michael J. Fox is unable, in, in his mind, to, to act anymore. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a fucking crying shame. Because he is, you know, we're always going to associate him with Martin McFly. That's not a problem, because the Back to the Future movies are great movies. They're not, they're not a bad thing to solely be associated with. But it's also easy to forget that he is actually uh, was or is still you know I mean I'm sure if he came back to acting at any point he still would be he was well a... he's got a sitcom in the US now yeah he, 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 you know I, I've not watched all that I'll be honest uh, what is it is it the Michael J Fox show yeah um, but you know he was you know it is a great actor you know you've got you know, he's very good in the Back to the Future movie Casualty of the Wars a great movie um this, you know, there's, there's a lot out there, you know, it is a bit of a shame that it, his, his his film career was cut so short. Mm, mm, absolutely. 
Go on then, hit us with your one old. <laughs> Saying it like that, bloody hell. Uh, you, you, Go on then. For you've already sake. said it's going to be good. I don't know what it is. Uh, yeah, no, no, my, my one old. Uh, so yeah, uh, comes out on Blu-ray through Arrow tomorrow. Um, and it was my, the only old film I watched this week. Um, but I kind of want to talk about the Blu-ray as well as the film, really. Mm. Uh, Toby Hooper's Life Force. Ah, yes. Um, so, yes, Life Force. Um, ugh, pardon me. Somehow, in the mid-80s, Toby Hooper got $25 million <laughs> and made Life Force. Yep. <laughs> a film based on a book called Space Vampires. Yes. Um, I have, you know, I have seen Life Force before. And it, it was actually fairly recently, maybe last year I watched it for the first time. I cannot believe it's it's kind of like Buckaroo Banzai, which I talked about last week. I can't believe this film got made. Mm. But the, the thing is, I can't believe the amount of money that got thrown at this. And the thing is, the film looks like it had a lot of money thrown at it. It's not something where you can't see the money on the screen because it is big. It's epic. The make the effects are great. The, the visual effects are good as well. Henry Mancini's score is terrific. But it's a film about a naked space vampire going around and sucking the life force out of people, then making them into zombies that want to suck the life force out of others as well. And if they don't, they basically explode into dust. And then these space vampires take over London. <laughs> and Steve Rails back is a horny, horny, horny man who tries to stop it. And that's it. For two hours. Yep. Um, I mean, in, in ways, it's terrible. Um, I mean, Steve Railsback is psychotically method acting, um, <laughs> where it really does feel like he didn't masturbate for a year and so he constantly looks like he, not that he's turned on, but that he really aggressively wants to fuck a desk or, <laughs> or something, you know. Um, and he's just a bit sweaty throughout the entire thing. It's, it, it's quite something. You've then got Patrick Stewart and Frank Finley walking around. No, not Frank Finley, Aubrey Morris, sorry walking around looking like they're about to start laughing at any moment um it's a film where patrick stewart full-on kisses steve rails back um i i i it, the, the, i mean the thing is though technically the film is wonderful i mean it's 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 great and i mean like the the opening's a real statement of intent as well you've got this this score performed by the london symphony orchestra by the way fucking rattling along while like it, the camera's like padding through space and life force in big letters comes up at the screen and, and it just it, it feels like it, it's a massive sci-fi adventure but one made for an audience that basically thrived on direct-to-video material I, it, it's i don't know what canon were thinking giving toby hooper a free picture deal um, 
And I mean, I'm sure one of the conditions was you must make a sequel to Texas Chainsaw. And then he made Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, one of the most batshit sequels ever made. Yep. Um, but I, I, you know, good on him. Good on him. I, I mean, Life Force is, it, it is fun to watch. That's the thing. I mean, like Matilda May is a good looking girl. Um, the, like I said before, the effects are great. It's, it's rather intense at times. And, I, I, it just it goes off all over the place, but it has great fun doing it. And I, I will say as well, typically, Arrow's Blu-ray is lovely. Um, the the film has a transfer color corrected by Hooper himself, and in the commentary, uh, he they him and this other guy Tim Sullivan, who I, I believe is a critic, and but is basically there to nudge Hooper awake throughout. <laughs> um, I mean, like, Hooper is actually chatting all the way through this, thanks to Sullivan, like, asking him questions and keeping him going, which is good. Um, And, uh, yeah, they're saying that, like, this was, like, shot in 70mm, and it's, like, you know, because the cinema run basically crashed and burned, it's never been shown really in the way it was properly intended since. But the Blu-ray is kind of a a step up to that. And, I mean, the, the, the image is great. Also, pretty solid 5.1 surround track, actually, which I was, I was kind of surprised by. And some really good extras as well. Um, have you got this to review? Uh, no, I, I didn't get it to review, uh, mainly because I have, a, I have a policy where if I get something to review, I don't buy it, and I want to buy this. It's, oh, a, really, it's, a, it's a really good um, set. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I, you know, I wanted that. I wanted actually wanted the steel book, but uh, I'm not sure that the steel book has all of the features on it. I don't think. Sure I the thing is, the, the the it's a two disc set, but the second disc I think is only the US version, and I don't think there's any other features on it. All oh, right. So I think maybe you're just not getting the US version. Ah, I can do without that. Well, yeah, which you can do without. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the because uh, I mean, like the first disc, it's got three commentaries. Um, I, I'll be honest, I only listened to um, well part of the first one because I don't, yeah, you know, I don't have time to listen to like nearly six hours worth of commentaries. I just don't. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the Toby Hooper and Tim Sullivan one's pretty solid from what I what I listened to. There's also an hour long documentary called Cannon Fodder: uh, The Making of Life Force, which um, basically details the actors. And directors saying, how the fuck did we get away with this? <laughs> Along with them then saying, well, not really surprising, but when the film came out, they didn't really do anything with it. And there's an awful lot of talk about canon and how they fucked up the marketing and the general release of it. Um, but uh, there's, there's one of the actors very early on basically says Toby Hooper was a coke fiend throughout the entire thing. And like that kind of level of honesty, you know, you only really get that level of honesty in retrospective documentaries like this. Uh, but that it, that's their like full bore. And they're talking about how it was a, a highly energized set. You know, <laughs> uh, it's 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 a really fun documentary. Um, and there's also uh, Matilda Mays interviewed basically saying, don't know how the fuck I got into this for, for 10 minutes. Uh, Steve Rails back. Uh, I mean, I was talking to Stuart Barr, um, and he was saying that it kind of seems like Steve Railsback's never seen Life Force uh, based on this interview, and you get that impression. He does seem to think it's ridiculously well-regarded and that it's, it is 
a cult classic that everyone loves. And it's like, really, Steve? Um, and there's also a, an interview with Toby Hooper. So, I mean, the, the, the disc is, you'll, you'll eat it up, Mark, basically. You'll, um, you'll, you'll have a great time with it. Um, and, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't have that much more to say, but it's a silly, silly, silly film, but it's glorious in its silliness. And, um, yeah, if you like Life Force and you're interested in the, in the set, buy it. Cool. Uh, I'll be getting it well in a couple of weeks. Nice. Uh, cool. Right. My, I've watched quite a lot of new things, so I'm just going to run through a couple um, very quickly and just give quickly sort of one word review, one word, one sort of sentence review just to kind of get it out there and get, you know, my fucking, get it out of my mind. Uh, but I watched this so far this um, week. I watched The Witches, the '66 Hammer film. Nice. You ever seen it? No. Uh, it's very slow building, and it's a batshit end twenty minutes that I absolutely adored. Uh, on a whole, it's a decent film, but that last twenty minutes are brilliant. Um, so really enjoyed that. Um, I also watched The Lone Ranger today. Uh, oh yes, yeah. Don't see why everyone panned it. It's a good film, but my god, is it long? Yeah. And it feels it. You could quite easily lose forty-five minutes out of that film, and it'd be a lot better because it'd be a lot crisper, um, and it, I think people would have received it a lot better. Uh, take out, take out Helena Bonham Carter's plot. Take out there. the werewolf rabbit things, yeah, which yeah. were blatantly left over from a previous draft. Yeah. And you've saved 25 minutes, you've saved a shitload of money, and you probably would have got better reviews. Because if you are under two hours, not one review would legitimately be able to call the film overlong. Yeah, and it, it is it, it is overlong. You know, I think even people who adore the movie would have to sort of admit and say it, it is, it, it, it's two and a half, because there's, there's movies that are two and a half hours that fly by. I enjoyed The Lone Ranger, and I will probably watch it again. But it feels like a two-and-a-half-hour movie. It feels like a three-hour movie. Yeah, it's absolutely. Very, it feels its length. But I enjoyed it. I thought that the the bouncing around between um, Death and I Hammer was great. I laughed enough times in it, uh, and it kept me entertained throughout. i tell you what, this time next year, when the uh, Disney buy one, get one free offers on, which, you know, always happens around this time every year, when that's on next year with the Lone Ranger in it, I'll buy it. Oh, that question, yeah. I, I, I'd happily I'll do it. Also, looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, also, as well, didn't like the um, the narrative of uh, him telling the story. Yeah, that was a bit... Clunk. Whatever. And yeah. also, that would have saved five, ten minutes. Yeah, so there you've got an under two-hour movie. Uh, watch Monster University. Um, solid six and a half, seven out of ten movie. Uh, enjoyed it enough. Gets a bit bogged down in the middle. Uh, again, doesn't need to be nearly two hours long. Uh, but can see why they made it nearly two hours long. But it was funny enough. Um, so yeah, you know, it's. I wish I agreed. It's not great, but it's not. It's not. I, I didn't think it was shit. Uh, I prefer it to the first one. Again, I'm not a big fan of the first one. What the? Uh, all right, move on. Uh, I'll, but then again, I'll, I'll I'll never watch it again. Uh, watched Aftershock. Oh God. Yep. Uh, 
it's it 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 it's shite. Uh, it's right. Eli Roth apparently, and I've and I've spoken to people who've met him. Apparently, he's a lovely guy. Seen interviews with him. He's a lovely guy. You know, he comes across being nice. He seems to know his shit about horror and everything like that. Yet, why, whenever he puts his name on anything, is it always just fucking terrible? Um, it's at the start of it. It's just a bunch of douchebag rich kids running about taking drugs and trying to fuck girls, right? And then it, after that, you're supposed to give a shit about these people, and you don't. And then it gets unnecessarily rapey, which has no bearing on it. It doesn't even need to be in the movie. Every single person with a tattoo in the world is a rapist. Exactly. There's a point where actually they actually go and they actually say, look, we've got no tattoos. It's like, ah... So, and, and uh, just the bit towards the end where that character's revealed as having a tattoo, and he just snaps. Yeah, it, it's straight away. Uh, but... it, honestly, honestly, people, it's just shit, and it, it, it it's confusing me because there seems to be quite a few people who say how big a horror fan they are are saying that it's actually quite good, and it is everything that I don't like about modern horror. It's fucking it, yeah. It's fucking terrible. I just... Uh... It is awful. And it, was that your worst film of the year? It was, wasn't it? God, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and uh, I think that the, the film that I'm actually going to talk about is my one uh, new. I just wanted to rattle through those. I'm actually going to talk about my one new. It, it was actually also in your worst five movies of the year. Oh, brilliant. What are we yep. talking about now? The Purge. I, I don't think I was in my bottom five. It's in my bottom ten. I'm pretty sure you don't have heroes. It's in your bottom five. Really? Yeah. I'm pretty. Really? Sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. All right. Um, but anyway, it's in your. It, 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 I'm pretty uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it was. It's, it's 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 in the list for sure. Yeah. Yes. Um. Right. So, Ethan Hart, Lena Headey. Um, the idea is that you've got a twelve-hour purge where you can commit anything up to a class three crime, which includes murder, theft, and rape. Um, again, popping rape in there, uh, which just seems a little bit, a little bit too far. But then again, one of the few horror movies that doesn't seem to get all rapey. Uh, yeah, I was going to say there isn't actually rape in it, is there? There's, uh, there's. Is there the threat of rape? There's a threat of rape in one of the archive scenes, we'll say. But in the uh, along the general thrust of the movie, no, yeah. there really isn't. Um, so the idea is you've got Ethan Hawke. Uh, he his character sells security equipment, uh, which are for the people who don't want to purge in this twelve-hour bit, who just want to not be purged upon, we'll say. Um, and he's you know he's a top salesman in his area, and his house is seemingly purge-proof. Um, Except he has, uh, and by the way, remember, we are all spoilers all the time, uh, and I need to get this shit off my chest. So, if you want to see The Purge, for some reason, um, then skip past uh, this. Um, so, the only thing that seems, you know, his house, all these security systems are all purge-proof, uh, but what is not purge-proof is his dumb-ass children. <laughs> or, and, later on in it, his house as well, which... 
for a, a massive security system um, and that has all these cameras around it has no cameras in it. And also, you can um, get through your security system with a sturdy chain and a 4x4. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Right. Also, as well, he has the most ridiculous son ever who decides <laughs> that, that some homeless guy is worth more than his family. On more than one occasion as well. It's not like he chooses to save this homeless guy once. He chooses to save him once, putting his parents and his sister in danger, and then chooses to save him again, putting everybody in danger. And then everybody decides that this homeless guy's life is worth more than the rest of their lives put together. Just, Just because. You know, they all take on the purge and they all... You know, have you know, say that the purge is a good thing and it's great and everything like that. But then, when they're actually confronted by the purge, despite the fact that, that Ethan Hawke makes money off the purge, they're like, "Oh, we can't do this. What have we become?" Well, hang on a minute. Your entire house and your entire life and existence is funded by the fear of the purge, by the actual thing that's happening. You know, one homeless guy. Let's be honest. In reality, based on the mentality of these characters, they go, oh, "I'm sorry, but." Shove, there you go. Bang, close the door, let's wait a few hours and it'll all be fine and all be over. It, it, it is just the same thing repeated over and over again. It is 85 minutes and it is dull for, I would say, 80 of those minutes. The one bit where you actually think maybe it's going to get good uh, is the end table scene moment and then it don't. Because they could have made that movie, you could have you could have won me back over by having Lena Headey um, just as it's about to click to the moment where the purge is now illegal. If she just shot them all, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd have yeah, been yeah, like, yeah. okay, yes, you've saved yourself, but it doesn't. She goes bye and just waves them on the way. Mm. Um, this is the sort of movie where you're sat around in a pub, right? You're all sat around, you had a few drinks. And you're talking over the ills of modern society and you go, Do you know what we should have? What we should have? We should have it where you have like a day where you can commit any crime and it, it'll, it'll reduce crime. It, it, it's a drunk ideal and somebody has written a screenplay around it and has forgotten to actually put a story in it. It's, yeah, it's an idea yeah. that is, oh, that's a fun idea, but that's it. It's a fun idea. It doesn't make a fun film if you put a really dysfunctional, shitty family of people, characters that are so unbelievable and so ridiculous and so retarded and completely change their moral compass several times throughout the movie. It's just crap. And the fact that this has been lauded as one of the best, you know, kind of sci-fi thriller, almost horror movies, you know, of the past few years is just depressing. I think some people have said that. I don't think everybody... Not everybody, but some people. More people than it deserves to have said it. It's just crap. It's just boring. And, Jesus, that... Do you know what? That kid, my God, he was annoying. (laughs) I mean, serious. Right down to his stupid fucking face and his stupid fake fucking emo hair. At one point, I was actually thinking... Just kill him. 
just kill him, Hawk. It's just just shite. Hated it. Done. <laughs> Done with that fucking film. It was terrible. What did you think of the I'm Conjuring? I'm glad you got it what, out, man. What did you think of the Conjuring? Because I'm watching that tonight. Is it shit or shall I watch it? <laughs> the Conjuring? I, I, I think the Conjuring's decent. Right, um, cool. You know, I, I think there are, there are some who don't. But I, 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 again, that film rode a real wave of hype and I don't think it's all that. But, fuck, you like Insidious Chapter 2, so you'll like the Conjuring. Cool. Right. Um, so that was our, our one old and uh, one new. I'm going to try and watch more good stuff Um next week like I say I've watched quite a lot of new stuff um, so now uh, we're going to get into the next installment of our Nightmare on Elm Street uh, which is A Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master so here is the trailer for that very film do you know what terror is hello do you live here Nobody lives here. Real terror. How long has it been since you've been on Elm Street? Welcome to a brand new nightmare. He is the first in fear. Second to none. Don't let them put you to sleep. He has no mercy. And no evil. Now no one sleeps. Get ready. This August. Your wildest dreams will come true. How sweet, fresh mint. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4. The Dream Master. Right, that was a trailer from uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street for The Dream Master. Um, this is the uh, Brian Halgeland um, written one. Um... We've got no uh, Wes Craven involvement again in this one. Um, he seems to not like the even number ones. Uh, and this one's directed by uh, Rennie Harlan, uh, who uh, has directed some notable things. Um, what is he? You know, Long Kiss of Night, Deep Blue Sea, Cliffhanger, you know. So he's got, you know, he's got history. Um, excuse me. Uh, again, Robert Englund is back. Um there's also a lot of people that you're not really going to recognise who didn't really go on to do that much. Uh, and uh, there's no Patricia Arquette, but there is Patricia Arquette's character, Kristen, but she's been replaced by the uh, actress Tuesday Night, uh, which I had to actually prove to Becky was called Tuesday Night because she wouldn't believe me that someone would call their child Tuesday Night. Yeah, that's fucking brilliant. Uh, let's be honest as well. She's got to have been conceived on a Tuesday night, otherwise the story just doesn't make sense. Mm. Um... Sorry, follows uh, Kristen, uh, who has been back in the real world now. Um, she's at school with Joey and Kincaid from uh, the previous film that we talked about. Uh, both played by the same actors. Both yeah. are played by the same actors, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're both uh, returning into it. 
Uh, and she's now living the standard lifestyle. She's got a boyfriend. Uh, she's got best friends and everything. And Freddy is just a distant memory. Although she still keeps having the dreams. And still keeps pulling Joey and Kincaid into said dreams. And then he comes back and starts killing the remaining Elm Street children. And he's got the other Elm Street children. The level of enthusiasm is telling. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ian, so this was the, the, the first time you watched Dream Master. Yeah. Um, what did you think of Dream Master? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, literally watching them back to back, it, it's, it's again, a statement of intent from Rennie Harlan, where in, this, in, in, in Dream Warriors, you had the image of a tricycle, like, just quietly going along with blood in its tracks... You know, and it's like, oh, that's a creepy image. In this, you've got a tricycle seemingly hurtling itself down the stairs, crashing all over the place, ring, 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 all over the place, and then things exploding all over the place, loud clattering noises all over all over the shop. Um, it makes dream warriors look like tokyo story <laughs> um and i i it, the, the thing is i didn't hate it surprisingly actually because i was kind of worried frankly but i think there are moments in here which are interesting there's one moment which properly fucking had me thinking my blu-ray player was uh, my, my blu-ray was fucked uh, yeah which is amazing we'll get to that but that was awesome Mm. um but aside from that it's kind of even though it's like the the, what the first time since the first elm street that this has done the setting up a bunch of kids and then in a high school and then 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 getting killed off Mm. it kind of already it feels cookie cutter um and it also doesn't help that it's got a narrative which makes less and less sense as it goes on. Yeah, it makes. And, uh, and obviously, Rennie Harlan doesn't give a fuck. No. But it's a shame because these films kind of do thrive on their internal logic and the rules of the dreams and whatnot. We'll we'll get to that. But yeah, Mark, go go on. What do you think? Um, it's feels more like a 80s horror movie than it feels like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Um, The soundtrack is very 80s horror. You know, there's still the the familiar score um, from the Nightmare on Elm Street series, but this is one where there is more of a soundtrack. There's the traditional generic rock soundtrack uh, in the background. Uh, there's also the characters are just paper thin um, and so you know like you say cut out and just slapped on it there's there's too many characters for a start off um, we get to know only a couple of them but we're supposed to care about all of them um, it's too bombastic Freddy is no longer scary in it uh, he's become a little bit of a joke within it um, and it, it just it quite simply 
doesn't make sense. But then there are some interesting segments in it that do lift it up a little bit and kind of stop it from being just a complete, um, to excuse the pun, nightmare to watch. So, yeah, um, it's very much dealt with, you know, the fact that it's a different actress playing Kristen. It's very much dealt with because somebody sort of, the first thing you hear is somebody grabbing her so you know that it's her and saying, Kristen! Well, isn't and there... Almost, almost pointing at her and going, this is the one that was Patricia Arquette, but she's different now, all right? Well, doesn't she refer to herself in the dream? She's like, get it together, Kristen, yes. or something like that. Yeah, as well. But uh, it just, yeah. I mean, Tuesday night looks nothing like Patricia Arquette. It's, yeah. it, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing how little she looks like Patricia Arquette. <laughs> yeah, like they, they just, they just didn't try. I mean, like she's got blonde hair and yeah. she's white. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is. But, Tuesday night, it, you know, isn't actually that bad in this. No, she's fine. It's just she doesn't look anything like no. Patricia Arquette in his no. off-putting. She doesn't. And it, it's kind of one of those things where you look at it and you think, well, hang on a minute. Could Patricia Arquette, you know, could she not have been convinced to be in this movie? She was hardly, you know, a star after this. It just seems like she's probably looked at the script and gone, ooh, no... Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that probably is the only reason why. She was just like, no, I don't fancy coming back and then getting killed off at the end of the first act. Yeah. Even I, I was, because I knew that they died. Yeah. But I was kind of surprised how long she actually lasted. Well, you can, it, it's very much a... It, it's uh, it, it's the taut passing again, isn't it? it it's, it's opening it... This feels like it's, it's saying, right, the only problem is, is the whole idea of the Nightmare on Elm Street, is he's killing off the Elm Street children, you know, the children of the people who killed him. But we've run out of kids. So we need to have a film that explains how the next films we're going to make are going to make sense. And that's what this is. And But then it... It don't make sense. But then, yeah, but then they completely fuck the logic. But, I mean... Yeah. First off... If Alice wants to help her friends, stop thinking about your friends. Yeah, that that, that is one thing. It's like, oh, it's my fault. Said, well, yeah, it is your fault. It, it really is your fault. And stop fucking stealing shit from dead people. Yeah, that because that aspect is built up and they and plays no part in the end whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just like you know, like she said, like. The bit where she's equipping herself and then she just goes, fucking A. It's just, what? what? No. no. You, you look at it going, none of those things were even remotely like the things that were given to you. Oh, there is that as well. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's brutal. I, but I, it, it just, like the fact that like they, the, like the, 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 the Dan character and the, the, the big haired girl, they're saying like, oh, you know, shit, what's going on, Kristen? It's like, she seems to change after yeah, every death. death. <laughs> and it's just no, she doesn't. No, no she doesn't. She, there's like there's a great point of where she where she goes to light a cigarette. She's like, wait a minute, I don't smoke. Like, what? But you you must have thought that when you bought the cigarettes. Yeah. But yeah. the shop and go, could I have uh, ten extremely long cigarettes, please? 
Oh, they are long, aren't they? They yeah, are long. Point. Yeah, and they've gone, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Yeah, I mean, there's there's that. There's also what what is kind of a perpetual problem with the with these films. Even though Dream Warriors didn't really do it because I liked the skeleton fight and that was unusual and cool. But the fact that the way that Freddy goes out is lame as fuck. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, he's never killed off very well. It just... It's her just remembering this rhyme and somehow this rhyme kills Freddy for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it just, that's lame. Even though the like the people kind of their arms coming out of Freddy and stuff, that's that's well done. I mean, again, I mean, like the the effects again are great. I mean, I saw Screaming Mad George's name come up at the start, and I was like, yeah. oh sweet, you know. And then straight away, as soon as his sequence started, I was like, yeah, that Screaming Mad George, the cockroach sequence. Yes. It was just like, yeah, that's the guy who did Society. Yeah, it's very, it's very much that. Um, but a lot of these things are shoehorned into the story a little bit. It's like, oh yeah, the 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 the, the cockroach, the, the 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 squishing of the cockroach at the start. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, I wonder when that's gonna come up and, again. And then later on, it's like, oh, I, you know, I just had so much to study for. Oh, what's that? Oh, I I, I made this. It, it 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 gives out a sonic ultra wave to ward off bugs. Like, hang on a minute. You were cramming for a, a big test you're really nervous about, but you managed to build an engineering project at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Ah, fuck it. it but then again, you know, we also have a guy doing fake karate with no one. And it's yeah. brilliant. Well. <laughs> it's funny. It, 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 that is, it is funny. It's funny because... It doesn't happen once, it happens twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, it, it's like, it, he's, he's supposed to be reading his cracks, but that, none of that is anywhere near karate. That is, that is a stoned teenager who has seen Karate Kid. Yeah. It, it, yeah, no, absolutely. But, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I like the makeup effects are good. And that one bit I was referring to earlier on, genuinely... When it happened the second time, that like she races around, gets in the car, they drive off, and, and, and they're having the conversation. I I I honestly thought, shit, this Blu-ray. Like I never heard of uh, the, this this being defective, but wow, shit. And then it happened the third time, and then by then it was like, fuck, they got me. And then yeah. the way that the Dan character. He, gets that as well. Yeah, about well, the fact that the fact that he says it the first time, he's like, "I think we've been in this before," and then it, it, it rolls round again, and you just repeat it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was great. But as good as 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 really really fun as that bit is, it also points to the fact that when did Dan fall asleep? Yeah. And you know, like if Alice needs to be asleep for Freddy to invade anybody else's dreams, then when Dan's in the hospital, Alice isn't asleep then. Yeah, also, the the makeup of the dream world has become a little bit... Like you say, how it's all linked together. It is... There's no logic to it anymore. It's just Freddy can do whatever he wants, whenever yeah. he wants. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, but he's in a dream. But 
whose dream is he in? Obviously, that's that... a dream. But that person's awake, but they're in a dream. Yeah. Why? Because that doesn't make sense. It's very much like that. And and also, in fairness, why the fuck did Kirsten give Alice the power if if Alice wasn't going to use it for for good? She basically gives her the power, yeah, so that Freddy's Freddy can actually have more victims. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, they're uh, actually helping Freddy. And uh, also, as well, that was a little bit kind of like it was very shoehorned. Oh, sure. you yeah. need my powers. Yeah. Ugh. How did she know that was going to work? <laughs> yeah. You know, it just felt like, that's very convenient. De- I, I mean, like, and also, it's, you know, this is a bit of a silly one, but when Joey dies, yeah. for, for, the re- for the rest of the films, it, it's been like, all right, they're found in bed dead or whatever. But how the fuck did Joey... Uh, in the real world, how do they explain his death? Yeah, that he, that he drowned inside a waterbed. Inside bed. the waterbed. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a head scratcher, isn't it? I, it, it's just gonna be all oh, that horny Joey. He's always looking for ways to get off. <laughs> it is. He fucking climbed into his waterbed and tried to jerk off. <laughs> that, is, that is it. It's like while well, we all have dreams. Like they all have these different dream worlds that they have, uh, and it's like his his is just he just dreams about getting fucked. Yeah, yeah, which I, it, it is funny, but it, it's rubbish. It I don't, I, I don't know. It's 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 not a good film. It's really not. I'd love to say it is, but it's not. I think the thing is, in terms of a star rating, I think it's at the same level for me as Freddy's Revenge. But, you know, just because the bits that are interesting are, I think, more interesting than the bits in Freddy's Revenge. But generally, overall, Freddy's Revenge is kind of better. But it doesn't have it doesn't have the loop moment and it doesn't have the the really raw bloody out makeup effect sequences. Mm. Yeah, it's not. It's certainly it's 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 my least favorite of the ones we've watched so far, but you know I I still kind of like it because it's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. To be honest, I get the imp- I think compared to five and six, I'm going to enjoy this one quite a bit. You know, yeah. in in comparison, I'm kind of not looking forward to five and six just because I do think they're going to be shit. Uh, I mean, we'll see, obviously, but I, I'm, I'm very, very borderline on this one because I actually did, I did enjoy it, even though it's of, it's nowhere fucking near as good as the first one or the third one. The thing is, is, is I, I, I very, you know, I, on occasion, on more than one occasion, I've done a Nightmare on Elm Street marathon where I've watched all of them in, in one go, um, and I never. And I never will dread watching Dream Master because it's kind of it is it it's fun enough to get by um, and it's just over ninety minutes. Whereas the one we're going to watch, the first one we're going to watch next week, I always dread that one. How long is it? Dream Child. Yeah. 
It's uh, are they are they all just about an hour and a half? It, it, it's two and a quarter hours. You shut your fucking. Nah, it's that's ninety minutes. Bang on. So yeah, I mean, we'll, uh, I'm 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 gonna say, I'm gonna say borderline not shit. I I I'm gonna say it's a terrible film, but it's not shit because it's a Nightmare on Elm Street film. <laughs> yeah, I I might I, I might not say that next week though. Yeah, no, I mean that that's it. I'm I'm mentally preparing myself, but frankly, I enjoyed this one this one more than I thought I was going to. Mm. Uh, one thing I will say as well is that we forgot to mention uh, in our little talk up of A Nightmare on Elm Street three was uh, there's the reveal of uh, how Freddy became Freddy. Oh, the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That, that 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 that's freaky and creepy. I like that. Yeah, the the the, the um, Amanda Kruger stuff in that is great. Yeah, it it it, it feels quite good. It, it, uh, you know, it's the third movie, but it gives you a little bit more of a a nasty insight into into Freddy, which you know, kind of gives him a little bit more to him. It, it adds weight to his character. Mm-hmm. Cool. Right. So that was uh, the uh, final thought for this week of our, our night marathon on Elm Street, uh, a nightmare on Elm Street for Dream Master, which I think we're both still saying definitely not shit. Not shit. Yeah. I'm not shit. Yeah. Sorry, I uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm fine with it. So so far we've done four, and um, we've not found one that we didn't like yet. Me thinks this will change next week. Me thinks it, it, it will, but then again, might be surprised. It might. Who, who knows? Who knows? Right. Let's get into. Uh, we do have an email. Um, yes, we do. Yes. Back, uh, which have you got up, up on your I've screen? I've got. I've got it up. Oh, do you want to read it, Alex? You've got it up on your screen. I do. Yeah, no problem. So this is from Andy McCartan. Um, so thank you very much, Andy. And he says, "Hey guys, I've uh, just listened to your Prisoners app. Not seen it yet, but issues with spoilers. It sounds like similar themes to Big Bad Wolves, shown at FF this year. Frightfest. I was wondering, either have either of you seen it and what your views are? Keep up the great work on the show. Only podcast I still regularly listen to. Uh, cheers, Andy, a.k.a. Rodok. Uh, he's Rodok on Twitter. Um, yeah, well, uh, bless you, Andy. Thank you very much. Um, I don't think either of us have seen Big Bad Wolves. No, I haven't, but I'm very much looking forward to catching it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very intrigued by it. I need to give Rabies another go at some point as well. That was... Um, that was my Friday night. That that was the Friday at Fright Fest where I got apocalyptically drunk, and that was only five o'clock in the evening. I was I was fucked by that point. So um, yeah, I I need to give Rabies another go. But I am very much looking forward to Big Bad Wolves. I haven't heard a bad thing about it. So um, yeah, cool. Twitter. Oh, Twitter questions. Uh... The Ginger Prince T T G P seventy three uh, on Twitter says, "What's your spirit animal?" Panther. Parker Posey. That would be a good spirit animal. And if you claim that I've got to have an actual animal, a goat, but it has to be a goat chewing a can. Dirty old Billy goat. Yep, it's a goat just chewing a can. Nice. Yep. Uh, Tom uh, at very cinematic. Uh, it looks like this uh, Blade Runner sequel is going to happen, maybe with Harrison Ford. Is this a sequel too far? Um, I, this is a strange one because Ford's come out this week, hasn't he, and said that he's, um, you know, he's interested in making, you know, and been involved in the Blade Runner sequel. 
Whereas everything you've ever heard about um, the making of Blade Runner is the fact that they just didn't get on very well. But it's like it's like Star Wars, though, isn't it? It's like he's always he never wants to talk about Han Solo, but he's probably going to do Episode Seven. It's he, I, I do genuinely think it's a money thing with Ford. Sorry. I, I, I think it absolutely is. I think and you know he, he comes across as being you know apparently he's quite a nice guy. Um, but there's a lot of stories about him being a pain in the ass to work with. Yeah, I mean, I it just it is what it is. Is it a sequel too far? I, I think there have been many sequels too far. I'd say Beverly Hills Cop Three was a sequel too far. Yes, I'd agree with you on that one. Yeah, you, you know, you know what I mean. So it just it, it kind of is what it is. I'll watch it. Yeah. If it's shit, it's. If it's shit, it's not one of those ones that's going to taint the original for me because Blade Runner's over thirty years old. Yeah, you know, so it, it just it, it it it's too disassociated. It's like Prometheus. Like okay, I've made my piece with Prometheus. I'm still not a particularly massive fan of it, but it doesn't make me think anything less of Alien. No, it, it certainly wouldn't make me think anything less. Of and I, I, I know that's not what Tom's accusing. Uh, I know that's what Tom, not what Tom's saying. I just want to say, but yeah, I, I, but um. No, I, I, I don't think that we don't need a sequel to Blade Runner. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a story into a sequel. I think it won't ruin it for me, but I think it could, it could potentially, if it is a direct sequel from the film, it could ruin the the ambiguity that Blade Runner currently has. The way, that, oh, the way that some people say, you know, is Deckard a replicant or isn't he? And the fact that, you know, no, the, the the entire creative force behind the movie have never come out outright and said, yes, he is or no, he isn't. Well, I think Ridley Scott thinks he's a replicant. Ridley Scott thinks he is, but Ridley Scott didn't write it. But Yeah, well, that's true. But, but then, I mean, like, so in if Blade Runner 2, if Harrison Ford's in it, then he's not going to be a replicant because well it depends he's on it depends on be old yeah, it is but it depends on when his shut off day is well yeah no, of course yeah it's kind of a replicant Cough, yeah well that see that's it it it, it doesn't need a, a sequel I could see the idea of making another film set in that world I could see a logic within that or even making you know the possibility of making a prequel I could see the ideas within that um, mm. but if Ford's in it he's going to be and he's, and he's going to be playing Deckard like you say it ruins the mystique of the first movie unless he's playing an old version of somebody who the Deckard replicant was based on you know I mean, that would make sense you know there are ways to get around it but Am I excited by it? No. Am I interested by it? Unfortunately, yes. Will I see it? Of course I fucking will. Will it be good? Probably not. But, you know, there's always that faint hope that they do something interesting and something good, but it just seems like... It just seems like it's easy money. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, do, 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 do. Have we got any more? More? Uh, yeah, um, at Mbar Films. Oh, yep. Uh, what classic films have you not seen and are slightly embarrassed by the fact? 
I got two. Go on then. Give me your two. Lawrence of Arabia. I've owned it on Blu-ray for well over a year. Actually, yeah, well over a year. And I haven't watched it yet because I watched the first half hour on my 32-inch TV and then thought, that's not big enough. (laughs) I've got a 42-inch TV, which I'm thinking might not be big enough for it either. I'm pretty sure I want the first time I see Lawrence of Arabia to be on the big screen. So I'm going to wait for... It gets reissued fairly often, so... There will be a day, one one day, probably within the next few years, where I can watch Lawrence of Arabia. But until then, no. I've also owned Das Boot on Blu-ray for probably two years, and I've never seen it. And again, I watched the first half an hour, and then I shut it off because I had to go and pick Donna up from something. And I just haven't got back to it yet. The thing is, as well, these are long films, and, you know... I have to watch things for the podcast. You know, I had to watch three hours of Nightmare on Elm Street today for the podcast. And I'm more than happy to do so. But it does mean that when I have three hour blocks, sometimes instead of watching Das Boot, I watch two Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah. Um, uh, mine, uh, one I'm not that embarrassed by, but it's the sort of film where I think I probably should have seen it. I've never <laughs> seen The Sound of Music all the way through. Well, no, I haven't either, but I'm not very bothered. I'm not about embarrassed it. about it, but it's the sort of thing where I think that I probably should have seen it. Yeah, sure. Uh, and also, uh, another one that I I've seen, but I've seen it in two bits, but years apart. Not like watched half of it and then watched half of it later. Uh, so I don't think I can actually claim that I've ever actually seen it because, like I say, it was years apart. Uh, Tokyo Story. Oh, fair enough. Um, I, I saw a first half at once on BBC Two, and then years later again on BBC Two, um, quite again about five minutes from where I remembered watching it from and watched the rest of it. But I've never watched it in one block, whereas I think, you know, like I say, it was about six years in between, so I probably should go back and watch that. Yeah, I Tokyo Story is great. Mm. In fact, I'm going to try and watch that in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Cool. Uh, any more for any more have we got? Uh, I think that's it, man. Yep, I think that is it. Just double check my end just to make sure. Don't want to miss anybody out. Don't want to disappoint people. <laughs> uh, no. Nope, that's it. Yep, cool. Right. Sweet. Um, I think that wraps up episode 38. Um, if you want to leave feedback, yeah, at Dude and the Monkey, uh, at DudeFoz, at Ian Loring, or email us at DudeandTheMonkey at gmail.com. Yeah, iTunes boy. News, always greatly received. Um, Ian, what are we covering uh, next week? Captain Phillips. I'm, I'm up for Captain Phillips, yeah. Oh, no, oh, no. Oh. Mate. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. <sighs> kind of got to cover that, haven't we? Let me just check. That is... I'm. I'm very, I am very, very sure Escape Plan's next week. Let me just check. Yeah, we'll be covering Escape Plan if it's next week. Escape Plan it is. Escape Plan, yes. We will be... Well, I, well I'll, I'll hopefully be watching both of them because I'm actually quite looking forward to Captain Phillips. looks very good. But let's face it, when we're not going to cover an Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone movie, looks fucking brilliant. Very- and... Uh, the thing is, is I, I'm very much well aware of the fact that, that if there was a, a, a precise target audience 
for that movie, it would just be a picture of me looking at a camera with both my thumbs making the yeah face. Yeah, pretty much, right. <laughs> and, then, and then we're going, we're making a movie for this guy, for people like this guy. <laughs> and, and, and there's, there's like one guy going there, what, what, going, going, what uh, people who will literally watch anything, like, yes, yeah. this guy. <laughs> and I'm going to go into it, and I'm going to come out of it, and, and, and I don't care if everyone goes, that was shit, I'm going to go, that was brilliant. <laughs> you know, there is, there is possibly nothing that can happen that will make me dislike that film. <laughs> mm. And I'm so much yeah. looking forward to it. Uh, no, we'll also be covering... The next two films are Nightmare on Elm Street, which are A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Dream Child, and uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 6. Which one is it? Freddy's, Freddy's Dead, Dead. Final Nightmare. Final Nightmare, yeah. So, looking forward to it. Also, the other thing I will say is um, the New Line Cinema title logo that we're all now used to is shit compared to the old red one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's annoying that on the Blu-ray they start with Maybe not on the first one, but all the other ones, they start with the new New Line Cinema logo. Yeah. It, it, it's only seen on the first two, I think. Oh, is it? I, uh, okay. Yeah, it's def, def, well, I, definitely on two, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and that old New Line Cinema logo is fucking great. Yeah, it is. It is. It's budget as fuck, but it's great. Yeah, love it. Um, well, thank you very much for listening, guys, uh, and we shall see you next week. Cheers all.